Welcome back into episode three of the Away Days podcast, live from the panic room in my apartment. Uh, joining me today, as always, Lath Land, fresh off the road trip up to college, not college station, state college, Pennsylvania, is Auburn Tigers on the road at Penn State. I know we're a soccer and football podcast, and we started with soccer the past two weeks, but today... Got to get straight in into the to the American football late. So I'll go ahead, give you the floor. You were gonna stay with some nun or something. I don't remember, and then you ended up make it somehow making it up to State College. Just break it break it down the whole trip for us. It looked like it was a blast. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh, apart from the drive, which was absolutely brutal. Uh, I think it's total hours driven it was like twenty two hours, uh, nine Damn. of which was in one day. So that was, yeah, biggest road trip yeah, I've ever taken, and I took on all the, the driving. Uh, for the audience there, that's a trip from northwest Georgia um, up to up to Pennsylvania. So, yeah, pr- pretty pretty big hike there. Yeah. So it, it was really cool. You know, one of the first things I noticed when I got there was, like, you know, in, like, all the movies or shows, every time they talk about the, like, generic college football team that's just, like, go state all they say is state in it that was literally the vibe that you get when you sit there everybody's just wearing a shirt that just says state doesn't reference anything to pennsylvania you hear go state everywhere so that was that was super cool because it felt like almost cinematic uh, in that regard but whiteout was sick it was sick i don't think it was too much of a factor uh in the game i don't i think they handled it pretty well but Overall, just being able to see that and see how all that went down is super cool. I see why there's hype around it. So, um, if you're first time listening to the podcast last week, uh, or in previous episodes, we talked about Lath, a recent Auburn grad, I myself a recent UGA grad. I've been fortunate enough to go to a few games in Athens so far this year, um, but Lath, this is his first post grad um, trip uh, to an Auburn football game, and they take an L, which he's used to after four years mm-hmm. on the planes there. But, um, <laughs> But a hard-fought game. We'll get get into a little bit of the uh, nuts and bolts. End up losing by eight. Looks like y'all had a chance at the end, yeah. Um, but just not enough to kind of get over the line. But again, I wasn't able to watch any of the game. I was actually in Athens for the Georgia South Carolina game. Um, but kind of the vibe I got from people talking to that that did watch it. And again, you may have a different viewpoint, an Auburn fan versus Georgia fans talking to me, but they kind of told me that it was one of those games where, yeah, Auburn was in it, but it never really felt, at least in the second half, like they were ever going to take the lead. I guess if you're kind of down by eight for much of the game, you kind of know you have to score and go for two just to tie it. Did it kind of feel like that in the stadium too, or did you get a different opinion? Uh, I think it's a little different. I think if we'd started off the way our second drive did, we would have been in the driver's seat for the most of the second half. You know, it was a... It really gave me Malzahn vibes. First play of the second half, we fumbled on a trick play, let them score inside the 20. So defense couldn't do much about that anyway. And from that point on, I mean, we had the solid ground game going. They could not stop Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter. Um, but at that point, it really got to where the clock was against us. We needed to score fast, and that's not how our offense is built. This is an offense this year. Uh, I liken it to, to Notre Dame's offense last year. Not as good, but... It's one of those ground and pound. You're not going to see too many explosive plays. And that's just where we're at. I thought we played a really good game. O-line was impressive. D-line, I think we've overestimated uh, how good those guys can be. Because we only – it was. I was a little skeptical of this. We only uh, sent three or four men each play. We thought they would be able to handle the pressure for us. And that was not the case. Um, I can't remember the QB's name right now. But he went 28 for 32. And that's Sean just, Clifford. yeah, Sean Clifford. 28 for 32, that's not something, you can't have that. 300 yards passing, it was obvious that we weren't getting anywhere near him, and they tore us apart in the air. But I, I, this is a game that I think you play it 10 times, it would be like 5-5 five, five pretty even. It could go either way, and I think it just didn't go our way that day. Well, you mentioned off the top that you didn't think the wideout had that big of a difference, but I think in a game, if, especially if it truly is one of those where you play 10 times, it's probably five and five. I think what's often the difference maker in those closer games is the environment. You know, does Penn state have that same performance on the road at Auburn in a, you know, in a packed Jordan Hare stadium? I don't know. You know, uh, Bo Nix doesn't look like he had a great game, just 185 passing yards, um, which isn't, you know, for a team that likes to run the ball, that's really not, not bad but when you look on the other side and Penn State threw for 302 like that you know just kind of looking at the stats that looks like an area where 
um, they definitely had the advantage. But getting away from the game a little bit, just tell tell me a little about just like what it was like up there because a whiteout game up at Penn State. You know, I we talked in the you know past couple of months when I heard that you got a ticket, I kind of kicked some tires to see if I could find a way to get a ticket up to that game. Um, just just as a because like again, that's a that's a bucket list game for a lot of people, and it is for me to see a whiteout now not trying to crap on Penn state people here, but I'm hell no, I'm not going up there. If it's not a wide out, like that's basically the only way I'm going. <laughs> but like, that is like a wide outs right up there with, you know, wanting to see, um, you know, a, a Ohio state Michigan game or go see, you know, LSU, which I've done, which has been a great experience or, you know, go see some of the more famous stadiums, like happy Valley is definitely up there. Um, but like what was kind of as somebody who you and me who are really used to like sec, football vibes you know fall saturdays where it's just hot as hell for most of it um got a lot of you know tailgating and other stuff going on what was what was the big 10 experience like up there uh it was different it was uh like i know you know this when you go to sec game auburn georgia doesn't matter you usually there's a little bit of classiness you dress up you know you wear like the pants Mm -hmm. the uh the golf shirt unless you're florida okay yeah unless you're florida but uh this like you go up there and it's just guys wearing tank tops uh, <laughs> t-shirts, nobody, there was not near as much glamour to it. It was a lot more gritty. I'd tell you when we, when we pulled into the parking lot and where the tailgating was, it kind of felt like I would, I would equate the vibe to that of like a NASCAR race. Just, really? yeah, just like really redneck Northern people all over the place. Uh, the whole campus yeah. kind of smelled like, uh, porta potties and that included in the stadium as well. <laughs> <laughs> So it was just a really gritty vibe, just northern dudes. And uh, but it, well, I guess you kind of are in like the Rust Belt a little bit up there, the former steel cities, yeah, all up in Pennsylvania. I guess. Oh yeah, the steel workers are out in full force. Um, but it was cool. Everybody was pretty nice. Um, I mean, you got the typical stuff like, oh, these Alabama boys. I hear that y'all have sex with your cousins. Is that true? That that kind of just trash talk. But and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it was great. They were really welcoming, and they said I, we were asking them about it. I think everybody wants to say that their team travels well, but they multiple Penn State fans were like, "Yeah, y'all brought more than like a Michigan or Ohio State uh, has in the past." So that was really cool to hear them say that versus us just telling ourselves that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will, I will say, you know, I was I was not bothering you because I'm sure you were glad to send it to, but I wanted to see kind of your view of the stadium and stuff as you were walking in. And we were talking, I was like texting you like, Hey, send me all the snaps, whatever, kind of what the stadium looks like, what the, what the stuff looks like around, you know, around the game. Um, and I actually couldn't really get most of those during the day. Cause like service is awful at Georgia games as it yeah. is probably in most games. Um, just you get that many people around it. But so I didn't really see it till, till after the game, but like in your videos, obviously you're sitting up high, probably where a lot of other Auburn people were. But there was a fair amount of orange in that stadium, um, mm. for sure. You know, and so people talk about traveling well, and yeah, that's part of it. But really, a, a big part of it is how bad do you want it? Because you know, unless you're getting a student ticket, your Auburn fans are having to fork over some cash to go to that game because you've got to pay enough. Usually, you know, to to actually take over a decent amount of a stadium, you got to pay enough to get some Penn State person to sell it to you. You know, yeah. Um, so. And a lot of that is just kind of who wants to be there more. And that's funny that you say that some of these Penn State fans were saying, oh, that's more than Ohio State or Michigan. Uh, when I – so I used to work for for the sake of this podcast and not making it go on forever. I used to basically work for the MLS, and I spent a lot of time up in Columbus, Ohio, actually, where Ohio State is working in and around Columbus crew matches. And I got to talking to this Penn State guy one time who was actually from – He's from like Alabama somewhere, but he went to Ohio State and he was like, Yeah, man, like we love our football up here. Like home games atmosphere is, is just as good as the SEC. But he said, like, we don't travel though. Like if it's Indiana or Wisconsin or like basically anything but Michigan, like we ain't going. So, um I thought I thought that was yeah. kinda interesting, maybe to kind of hear that confirmed, it sounds like. Oh yeah. We talked to some of the fans down there, or I guess up there, and we were like, Yeah, we're gonna see y'all next year and they were like uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm trying to make that drive. Like, come on, you got to have it both ways here. You got to get the full experience. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know it was a home and home. I guess that makes yeah. sense. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, the reverse. It'll be interesting to see what the what the reverse looks like. Um, of course, maybe I'll actually have a quarterback by then once Bo Nix gets the hell out of there. But uh, hey, man. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, that's that's enough Auburn talk for the next three podcasts. But I'm glad I'm glad we got it in though. Um, Glad you had a good time up in there. But 
I want to start things off with actually the other team in Alabama who's a bit more used to getting the headlines. And my kind of theme for the college football weekend this week is, like, who's actually legit? Because mm. we had a lot. I think this weekend brought more questions than answers um, when you go across the board. Look at number one Alabama going on the road um, against a ranked Florida team. Both teams undefeated, but both teams really haven't played anybody up to this point. And Bama escaping the swamp with a two-point win. Florida with a chance to tie the game with a two-point conversion late in the fourth quarter unable to convert um, Emory Jones bringing Florida back after being down I think it was 21 to three at one point in the first quarter um, but Florida able to come back and again wish I could say I watched more of these games but uh, when you, you know you go to a game I'm sure you probably didn't watch a ton of these being on the road and yeah. go into that game and our game the Georgia South Carolina game and the Penn State Auburn game started both at 7:30. so um, if anything the only games I saw were the much earlier ones but so again bigger questions than answers what is this like who again who who is actually legit in this game does this game say more about hey maybe bama isn't as good as we thought or are we really underrating a florida team at home in a big environment where they almost got it done i want to believe that this says more about florida i mean you i've talked to you off the pod countless times about the respect i have for for dan mullen as a coach uh, I mean, the guy, if you can get Mississippi State to be the number one team in the country at any point, then you're doing something right. And I think the scheme he had really second half really uh, reignited that offense. Um, but I, I think Bama kind of got put to sleep a little bit, got a little overconfident is my take. Again, I didn't, like you said, I didn't get to see part of the game. But I think Florida is a team that really I wasn't counting on them too much early on. But after seeing this, you got to say that there's a part of them that's at least for real. Yeah, and looking at the the box score here, you're right. Alabama jumps out to a 21 to three lead in the first quarter, then doesn't score in the second, um, and ends up going taking a 21 to nine lead into halftime. Then in the second half, only scores 10 points and going down. There's no turnovers. Bryce Young had a pretty clean game: 22 of 35, 233 yards and three TDs um, on the ground. Rushed for right at about 100 yards. Um, and a bunch of different receivers catching passes. I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different guys catching at least one pass um, for Alabama. But, you know, in talking to some some guys who did watch the game, like Florida's defense just came up with stops in the second half. Like they just flat out, again, not like, you know, usually when you see Bama get beat in the past, we got to go back kind of several years because they really don't lose all that often. <laughs> um, I think I saw a stat on Instagram. It's been like 600 days or something since – they last lost a game or something like like something crazy like it's been well over a year obviously since they were undefeated last season um but you know usually when you've seen Alabama lose in the past I think of Ole Miss actually because that's Ole Miss travels to Tuscaloosa next week for what'll be the SEC on CBS game at 3:30 but you like saw a highlight of that game today you've got the tipped balls up in the air run for touchdowns by LaCron Fredwell for 60 yards yeah. and you got you know in the Auburn game the kick six you know all kinds of Usually it takes some kind of wildness for, for Bama to lose a football game. But this one, Florida just about beat them just straight up, you know. Yeah. Um, Florida actually lost the turnover battle. You think maybe if Emory Jones doesn't throw that one interception, maybe the game goes a different way when you only lose by two points. But, you know, I really, again, without having watched it, and even if I had watched it, I'm not going to pretend to be some football analyst expert. But I think I – think, Without giving the absolute cop-out answer of it's a little bit of both, your favorite answer there, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to lean a bit more toward this is just a, a younger Alabama team that lost a lot of guys, and this was kind of their first punch in the mouth. Um, and, you know, you got to know Nick Saban's going to, like, light an absolute fire under them this week. I feel bad for whoever plays them. <laughs> plays them next. I think they've got a pretty pretty easy game coming up this week before they, they host Ole Miss. Um, yeah, Southern Miss this week, but you know, I actually hate that for for us and for other people <laughs> who may be staring down Alabama later in the season because, again, that's almost a perfect kind of learning tool if you're Nick Saban in Alabama. Like you go into a really tough environment against what is probably a pretty dang good team. And I mean, Florida was 
was right. I think they were ranked 11 or something going into that game. And you get away with the win, like you get the mm-hmm. learning experience without actually getting burned by the loss. Like I, I don't like what that's gonna say about yeah. Alabama later on. Like they're gonna learn a lot from that game. Yeah, and uh, it's funny. I made the mistake of watching the uh, the Paul Feinbaum show earlier today just to see what they'd have to say about it. Typical Alabama fans calling in. They're already calling for the defensive coordinator to get fired, offensive coordinator to get fired. Just overreaction. And so, you know, it, it caused a lot of ruckus. Nick Saban's going to have that right this week, and there will be nothing for them to worry about at all. Yeah, um, but that's that's every fan base, you know, mm. going to lose their mind. But they're not the only team with, with cause to lose their mind a bit here. Again, running with the theme, who's actually, actually legit. You know, this one we may have actually learned that they're not. Oklahoma, another survival at home, 23-16 to against a bad Nebraska team. Um, you know, the past several years, the story of Oklahoma has been like, hey, you know, definitely the best team in the Big 12, probably going to drop one here or there, but are going to end up in the playoff anyway and then get their ass kicked by usually Bama or a better <laughs> team. But this year, you know, if there was any other competition in that conference, I think they'd lose a couple maybe. Um, but they do just enough to, to survive against Nebraska. But, you know, what's the Spencer Rattler not looking like the Heisman hopeful? Or, I mean, there are plenty of guys or people preseason willing to give it to him already before he even played a snap, um, give him the Heisman, not having a great start to the year. And OU just not, you know, again, we, we kind of know what OU is over the past few years, but they're not even that this year, it doesn't seem. Yeah, and, I, you know, the, all the Heisman hype with Rattler – I could see it at the time, kind of, just because of the last couple games he really took off with them. But I have, I don't know, I've never been too impressed with him. He doesn't seem like he runs the offense the way that Lincoln Riley wants him to. He does a lot of uh, trying to do too much on his own, and that really comes back to bite him early on in the season uh, so far. But, yeah, that, that Nebraska team, you're right, it's not a good Nebraska team. It's a team that plays kind of a rinky-dick style of football, uh, almost that a uh, – the Georgia Tech style that they finally got rid of this last year, the option style offense. And it's just, I don't know. It's kind of sad for me to see because you remember the days when Nebraska was pretty good early on and they were a team that you wanted to watch. But now that program has really deteriorated. And I'm not sure what the cause of that is. I mean, they've been deteriorated though. Like if you're really talking about like the actual glory days of Nebraska, neither you or I are old enough to remember those. That's like 80s. Uh, Yeah. They were winning national championships and stuff, but you're right. They were, at least like big bowl game contenders, right, yeah. you know, like early two thousands. Um, but yeah, they're in a bad spot. But neither, you know, so so is Oklahoma. Like I don't know, you know, looking ahead at their schedule um, again, I just don't think there's any. That, that just shows you how bad the Big Twelve is now. Like I just really don't think there's that too many teams out there that would challenge them as as overrated as I think they are. But they got a West Virginia team coming coming into Norman next week. West Virginia, who really took care of business. Um, against Virginia Tech at home this week. Uh, but, you know, Oklahoma, again, you ask the question, who's actually legit? Definitely not Oklahoma, I don't think, at this point. Same thing goes for for Clemson, I think, we got to say at this point. I know, again, another game I really wish I could have watched because I just don't. You know, I wrote in the show notes here, I don't know if you read it, but it's like Clemson yeah. dot, dot, dot. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> how did how did that almost happen? I, like, again, having not seen it, you know, the box score only only tells you so much, but – 14 to 8 you know at home against Georgia Tech um what do, what do you make of that I don't this team I'm astounded because there was nothing that happened that you would think oh this this Clemson team is going to go through a little bit of a transition this year you know their team that every year regardless of who they lose on either side of the ball they pick up right where they left off and that's a combination of having the players and the good coaching staff but this team I don't know something's just not clicking and uh, I think maybe it starts at the O-line. I- I'm interested, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? You know, two pods ago, you were really excited about this Georgia defense, seeing how they handle this Clemson offense. After you see a uh, Georgia Tech team come in there and then see this happen, are, those, are you still that optimistic, or what, what do you think? I am, but what informs that opinion is just how we've played since, you know? Yeah. Like – Granted, UAB and South Carolina aren't the toughest teams in the world, but honestly, I think we've probably played the hardest schedule in college football so far to this point. Um, just when you look at 
other teams who have played one big game have since gone and pulled an Auburn and played an Akron or an Alabama State. Like, we haven't stooped that low yet. Like, UAB has a really good shot to win Conference USA or whatever, whatever that conference is called. It may still be that. I don't, I don't know. And then South Carolina, at least it's a conference game. You kind of don't have a choice about playing that one, you know. Um, but, like, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not the slightest bit worried about our defense, and I still think probably the best defensive front in the country. Um, but you're, but you're right though. That's a, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about like how, you know, does the Georgia win over Clemson start to look a little worse as they string together some poor results like this, you know, I'm at this point where I'm kind of hoping Clemson pulls it together, you know, just so that win looks better for Georgia. Um, but you're right. Again, I need, I need to go back and watch to see how this happened, but DJ Uyunglele, right? You were the one berating me for not pronouncing it correctly or whatever week one. Uyagalele. Uyagalele, whatever. 18 for 25 for 126, no touchdowns, no interceptions either. Um, but, you know, not a huge day on the ground either for the Tigers. Rushed for right around 135, 140 yards. Um, but, like, that's a bad result, honestly. Like, Georgia Tech, again, is not – we said the same thing about Nebraska. Georgia Tech is not a good team. Um, you know, losing to Northern Illinois earlier in the year. You know, I know we've got a couple of guys we know on the team, <laughs> but uh, that's not not pulling any punches for those guys. Like, this is not a good ball club. And who knows, maybe I'll end up on one of their Instagram stories here this week. But, um, but yeah, this Georgia Tech team is not very good, and that's – like again, Clemson. I hate to even say lucky to get a to get away with this, but you know from the highlights I've seen, Georgia Tech, you know, driving with a chance to go down and and again fourteen to eight final scoreline had the ball um, fourth and goal late in the game. If they score an extra point, gives them a lead, you know. Mm. Um, but of course, classic Tech and Jeff Collins or whatever the heck his last name is, Jeff with a G though, just the biggest. <laughs> you know, I could I could go on for days about how bad I think he is as a coach, but try to run some. Chiefs shovel option, but like that works because they have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Like you have, you know, what's the what's the uh, the kid who who uh, what like what's the Dalton guy, the white guy who goes there? Um, that joke would have made <laughs> way more sense. I could remember his name, <laughs> John uh, Ross. Some John Ross. Yeah, this this walk on fat white kid who we went to school with. <laughs> There's no reason he should be at Georgia Tech other than just he's best friends with a running back. But anyway. Georgia Tech doesn't have the offense to be to be running that crap, and Skalski from Clemson just stuffs them on fourth and goal, and then they go home with an L. But, you know, again, long story short, bad loss for the Tigers. Are they actually legit? Really starting to lean toward no there. But, you know, we tried to answer that question. Here's one that I think is a bit clearer now through three weeks because I don't think the answer is Ohio State. Yeah. Who the hell is the favorite in the Big Ten now? Um, start with Penn State. You know, you know this Auburn team better than than most. Being a big fan, how impressive is that win for the Nittany Lions? Like, is Auburn something? Does this does this make Penn State like the contender or at least a contender in the Big Ten? Yeah, I, I think it does. And part of that, you're right, just goes to the fact that Ohio State is not the Ohio State that we've seen the past couple of seasons. But another part of it is Penn State is legit. You know, that uh, Auburn came in. We had a good passing or a good rushing defense held them to over 83 yards. Um, but the, the, the offensive, they got the game going, uh, or they got the ball moving. 300 yards against an SEC defense, as, unless it's Vandy, that's still a pretty good stake to say. So I think this Penn State team has a lot of talent. Um, their secondary was really good. Part of that is our inexperience at uh, receiver, but literally they played so tight to us. I was surprised some of the balls we were even able to get complete um i think this is a penn state team that might be the most balanced in the big 10 in terms of defense and offense i know we aren't going to talk about iowa right now i think they're a little defensive heavy i need to see more offense from them but i think penn state is a team that at least on both sides of the ball looking at it at this point in time has the best chances going forward yeah well you mentioned iowa they you know, notch another win, start the season three and zero, and it'll be a little bit, I think, before they run into a team um, that'll give them some real problems. But as much as I hate to admit it, I, I kind of think Michigan. If you're if you're gonna say no to Ohio State, which again, I'm I'm not high on the Buckeyes right now. Now, of course, Ryan Day and those guys. That's a good coach. That's a good football team. Who knows? They may just turn things around in the second half of the season. Um, but you look at Michigan and the way they've started the year. Um, again, three and O wins against Washington, um, Western Michigan, who, you know, say what you will about that. Um, but 
And I think they, who else did they play? Um, have a look at the schedule here. Yeah, Western Michigan, 47-14, 31-10 against Washington, and then 63-10 against Northern Illinois. Um, and then they got Rutgers coming into the big house. Look Interesting looking at Michigan's schedule. Start the season with four straight home games. Um, that's kind of a nice way to start. So maybe maybe those results are a little bit inflated. But, um, but again, looking at at least, you know, as an SEC guy, I like to kind of shit on the other conferences being bad. Like, it's, it's an enjoyable thing. But <laughs> – um, I will say I do enjoy that the Big Ten looks like it's going to be, be a bit more wide open because you got Ohio State, who looks unconvincing. Michigan, who, yeah, they p- really probably don't have a very good win on their schedule so far this year, but at least they're, like, taking care of business in all these games, you know, big wins in all of those three. Um, I think they scored on, like, their first seven possessions against Northern Illinois, which, like, basically unless you're playing UConn, like, that's still pretty impressive to do. Um, so Michigan looks all right, but – uh, you got Wisconsin, who's still kind of hanging around in there. So the Big Ten, I guess, you know, if you if you put a gun to my head, said right now and predict who's going to win, I guess I'd still say Ohio State, but I'm more reluctant than I've ever been to say that. Yeah, and this Michigan team, it really reminds me of the Georgia team from 2017. You know, there hasn't been a game this season yet where the quarterback, I think his, his name's Cade McNamara at Michigan, has thrown more than 11 passes. And I, I know you remember those days when Georgia could just run it as much as they wanted and Jake Fromm really didn't have to do much. So I think once you force this Michigan team to throw the ball, that's when we're really going to see just how good they are. But you're right. I think um, they've shown enough, at least so far. But Ohio State, if they're playing well, they're great. But they're way inconsistent right now. And Penn State looks like the team to beat. All right. We'll pause the college football coverage there and jump to what was a big Week two in the NFL. Game of the year so far last night in Baltimore. Ravens take down the Chiefs 36-35 for Lamar Jackson. His first win over the Chiefs in four tries. That was kind of the media narrative going in into this game about basically the only thing Lamar hasn't done, um, you know, other than win a Super Bowl, obviously, is, is beat the Chiefs. Used to be win a playoff game, but he did that last year. Um, but now finally gets one over his, his rival, Patrick Mahomes. Then for Mahomes, first September loss of his career. Yeah. Impressive, along with his first September interception. Um, so, again, Chiefs, unreal. But, you know, I watched a ton of this game. Maybe you did or didn't. I don't know. But um, just two – again, I, I feel like the thing we kind of run with a lot on this on this show is, you know, what does this say more about or, you know, what's the bigger storyline, this versus this? Is it this person's fault or this person's credit? But, like, both of these offenses are unreal and just so much fun to watch, but a lot of bad defense being played last night too. Yeah, uh, I'm a little upset with myself because, you know, I had to drive. I watched this game up until it was like 35 to 24, and then I just got tired and hit hit the hay, woke up to see the result, and was I was kicking myself for that one because, like you said, this was probably one of the better games that we've seen this year. Um, and, you know, I, I got to say, I was one of those guys that was not convinced with Lamar Jackson early on. I feel like he tends to underperform in big games, but he proved me wrong last night. And if he can keep playing this way, the Ravens have a real shot at doing some special things. Well, I, you know, I was feeling really good. I had a, a significant amount of money on the Chiefs last night to uh, <laughs> to cover and was feeling good about it, right, at 35-24, yeah. you know, up 11 in the second half. I think it may have even been in the fourth quarter, too. Um, Ravens needed to go down score 14 unanswered, which they did. Um, but... Yeah, you talk about Lamar. I'm actually still kind of a Lamar hater. It's not that I don't, yeah. you know, it's not that I discredit what he's doing, but I just ultimately don't think he like he's a phenomenal player. To use a to use an old um, uh, what's the coach at Arizona State's name? Uh, uh, Herm, Herm Edwards. Yeah, he's Herm. old Herm Edwards thing. Back when he used to be on like first taking stuff, and they'd be talking about Tim Tebow. That dates us a little bit here. The last time he was relevant in the National Football League, <laughs> but um, they'd be talking about Tim Tebow, and Herm Edwards would be like. Oh yeah, Tim Tebow. Oh, he's a good player. He's a good player. Can't play quarterback though. Like that's what he would <laughs> say. Like, and that's what I'm like with Lamar Jackson. Like, he's a phenomenal athlete. Probably the best athlete on the field anytime he walks out there. But dude can't really throw that well. Yeah. Like, he really. I mean, they said some ridiculous stat about like this is the first time ever that a quarterback has thrown for 200 yards, rushed for 100, and run for two scores in the history of the game. Which again, unbelievable. But that's because never before in the history of the game. Had somebody just said, fuck it, let's put a running back back there. Because that's really what he what he is. Like, got a decent arm as far as, like, NFL goes. But, like, you see him pretty consistently. And, again, it reared its head against the Raiders, which is why I don't know that the Ravens, yeah. 
without having a phenomenal defense, I don't know that they ever get over the Super Bowl hump with Lamar just because he's going to make some mistakes. And, like, that arm is pretty dang inaccurate. You know, he runs wild with the ball in one hand and turns the ball over a good amount. I mean, he threw two picks in this game, too. Like, if the, yeah. if the Chiefs could, could stop the run at all, they'd probably end up blowing him out. Um but but he is just that phenomenal runner. But I'm kind of with you, and I'm and I'm still kind of down mm. on Lamar. Like best fantasy quarterback ever. Although Kyler Murray is kind of giving him a run for yeah. his Murray, money, yeah. a run for his Murray there. I'm gonna say. But yeah, I I'm just not sold on Lamar, and you know maybe a big reason I do have this dislike for him is because I pretty consistently find myself one way or another betting against the Ravens, and I just hate when I see a defense about to have him wrapped up and he just breaks it for 30 yards. Like it's just so annoying. Um, but it's like, you know, my attitude with it is like when you're like a playing Madden or FIFA online, right. And like, you just know you're better than this guy you're playing against, but some bullshit goal or some like aids in the game happens and you end up losing. You're like, I was better than this guy. And and he lost like you're, you say like, you're not good, bro. Like Lamar, you're good, but but you're not. Like (laughs) It's just, I don't know. I don't know. kind of grinds my gears, but Moving on a little bit to, to the rest of Sunday's action, kind of want to talk about some surprising starts here in the NFL. And again, that's what makes the NFL, at least for me, like so addicting and, and fun to watch because you really just never know what you're going to get. Two really surprising solid starts. Panthers under Sam Darnold reject from the New York Jets, 2-0 and with the Panthers. And then the Las Vegas Raiders, 2-0 and after wins over the Ravens and the Steelers. A really strong start for them. Put it to you, Lath, which of these teams surprise you the most at what they've shown through two weeks so far? Um, I think if I had to choose, I would say the Panthers. And, you know, I was one of those big believers in the Panthers last year. You know, they've got Joe Brady, they got Robbie Anderson, uh, guys that you thought would make an immediate impact. And I think everybody was kind of waiting for that to happen. And then when it didn't happen, it was like they just – they didn't exist. They forgot all about those offseason moves and said, oh, it's just the Panthers. This is what we expect from them. They're not. They're a mediocre team at best, and that's how we're going to continue. But I think once you see they get a quarterback, as much as I like Teddy Bridgewater, I don't think he's great. You bring in a guy as talented as Sam Darnold, who was just in a terrible situation with the Jets, comes in, let him get into a second-year offense under Joe Brady, and we're really starting to see things click. But the, I, say, I still say that they surprised me the most – just because this Raiders team seems like they're always on the verge. They play in a lot of close games. Happened last year, too, where games just didn't go their way at the very end. Um, but it seems like they, things are really starting to turn around this year. They have the talent. We've seen what they can do. Got one of the most versatile tight ends in the league. And my fantasy staple piece, who didn't perform quite as well this week. But that one surprised me less because they've had the talent and they've just been really, really close to things going their way. Yeah, you look at the Raiders last year, all around the playoff discussion, all of last season. They actually beat um, they beat the Chiefs once and should have beaten them twice, should have done the double mm-hmm. over them. Um, but you talk about Teddy Bridgewater, and I won't linger too long on this, um, talking about you know your thoughts on him. A team I could have also and probably should have thrown in this surprising start, the Denver Broncos are 2-0. Granted, their wins aren't over exactly you know the top of the NFL, the Giants and the Jaguars, but... 27-13 and then 23-13 wins for Teddy and Teddy and the Broncos. Um, I think, you know, I think Teddy Bridgewater is a good quarterback. I really miss the Vikings days back when he before he got hurt yeah. playing with them. Um, I think he's solid and just kind of needed the right fit. And, you know, again, I'm not smart enough with football to know exactly what was wrong with it in Carolina and what's working in Denver. And, again, maybe what's working is that they opened with the Jags and the Giants. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see um, where that goes. But they're not the only team out west that is that has started two and zero and got off to a really hot start. Want to look at the NFC West, which has for the longest time, I mean, basically since the Seahawks kind of started their dynasty about twenty fourteen, the Legion of Boom kind of era. The NFC West has been by far the best division in football with the 49ers, the Rams, Seahawks, and the Cardinals. Cardinals, obviously, as of late, kind of adding their names to that list, but. Going from top to bottom in that division so far through two weeks. 49ers 2-0, Rams 2-0, Cardinals 2-0, and the Seahawks losing a really close one at home against a good Titans team who was a playoff team last year. Um, And it took a 45-point fantasy performance from Derrick Henry, which I will rage about coming up shortly as I was playing against him. But looking at this NFC West, a thought occurred to me. So we talked a bit last pod about the new playoff format, I guess about a year old now because it was in effect last year. 
of three wildcard teams, only one first-round bye, but an extra playoff team um, in each conference. So basically the sign for the past, well, however long the playoffs have been in that format, I don't know if that's pre-merger or what, but the sign that you had the best division before was that you got two or maybe even three teams into the playoffs because every division winner gets in and then the next, because there was two wild cards, the next two best records got in. But late, do we have the potential for the first time in NFL history, because it never would have been possible until last year, do we have the potential for the first time ever all four teams in a division making the playoffs? Because looking at this NFC West teams, I think, you know, as long as they don't just cannibalize each other too bad, I think it's possible. I think you're right. And I think it's something that every fan would want because I think that these teams, I mean, these are the teams, if we look at teams that we think are playoff ready, I think all four of these teams are teams that you could put in there. It's teams that you want to see compete. It's teams that you expect to be in the playoffs. And if one were to just be ousted just because they happen to be in the toughest league in the NFL, and I don't think it's a debate at this point, that would just be really disappointing to see. So I think, yeah, especially with the new playoff or the new extra wild card game, I think if the chips fall the right way, we could definitely see that this year because there is a lot of talent in this division. Yeah, look at the Rams adding Matt Stafford and the way they played the first two weeks. Clear-cut Super Bowl contenders. I think if you even pulled up the odds, they probably have top five shortest odds to win the Super Bowl. 49ers, a team that had a tough year last year, but due to a lot of injuries, they now return basically the same team that took them to a Super Bowl two seasons ago. The Cardinals looking red hot under you know, the number one quarterback in fantasy right now in Kyler Murray with an offensive receiving core that boasts you know, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Larry Fitzgerald somewhere in there as well. Um, and then a defense with a guy like Chandler Jones who got five sacks in week one. So Cardinals are good. And then the Seahawks, yeah, they're the one team with a loss down there, but you're never counting out Russell Wilson. Everybody knows what, what that team is capable of as long as Russ is cooking. So, But I've done the math. Obviously, each team plays each other twice. So, you know, you can't have for this, for this dream scenario of all four making the playoffs, it kind of has to work a certain way. But assuming, you know, every – well, I, th- I thought I did the math, but the more I'm looking at it right now, I don't know if we're so. So if if each team split with each team, that guarantees each one three losses. So 49ers, let's say they split with the Rams because Cardinals and Seahawks, they win three, they lose three. If they can just go through the rest of their schedule, each losing less than two or three other games, which again hard to do. It's the National Football League; like a lot of stuff could happen. But you know, as long as these teams kind of take care of business. I mean, an eight and eight bears team was the last team in the playoffs in the NFC last season. So like, again, should they split that kind of gives you two, three, maybe even four losses to play with. Um, so again, maybe a pipe dream, but I think it would be really cool. And that's something I'm going to be subtly rooting for all season for these teams to, to pull that off. Um, all right, before we move on to soccer, cause we do have a little bit of soccer news um, going, but we want to get through, talk a little bit of fantasy and our picks um, for the weekend and football Again, I mentioned it briefly a second ago. Derek Henry, like, fuck you, dude. Man, like that, <laughs> I, I scored basically like the second or third most points in my league, uh, my my college, my league with my college buddies that I care a ton about. Um, and I just got ran into the buzzsaw that Derek Henry was, um, scoring 47 in PPR. Um, across the board, Kyler Murray had another big week, back-to-back 33-point games. Um, and then I wanted to just kind of throw it in there because it's funny. Um so Lath and I are in a fantasy league together. I actually have no idea how you did, Lath. So when I'm done, feel free to mm. quickly uh, recap that. But um, so we're in a league. We were in a high school league with our high school buddies that was really competitive and really into for the longest time. But as we've kind of gotten a little older, it's just falling apart a little. So we're kind of in this patch together league right now with some guys we don't know, some guys we do, even some guys' dads. Um, and I'm not going to – I mean – I don't care as much about this league, but it's not like I'm not trying. Like I can't use that excuse. Like I still, I went all through the draft. I set my lineup. I could do waivers, you know, the whole nine. So no excuse, but I'm getting my ass kicked in this league. I've lost the first game bad. And I'm losing the second one bad to one of our friends, dads, whose name in the league is literally gym teachers. Cause that's what he is. Um, so I just thought I'd, you know, publicly own up, own up to my L's there. Uh, I, I may, I'm, I'm headed for my, like looking at my team, it's not good in there. I won't, I won't go through it play by player by player, but I can't even really defend it. Like I just, we're just not good. Just sustain it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I hadn't even looked at 
your game. I wasn't sure how you did. I thought your team looked good at the beginning of the year. That's a little surprising to me. But uh, yeah, back on my team, uh, this was just a crap week for me. Uh, had Jarvis Landry decided to start him at the last possible second, and he ended up coming off injured on the first drive for the Browns. Um, so that really, really just screwed me over. Uh, even though the Bills win 35 to nothing, offense didn't have to do too much work, and the uh, the main driving force of my team, that being Josh Allen and uh, Stephon Diggs, didn't put up the type of numbers that you'd expect from high picks like that. So that really contributed to a uh, what ended up being a 98-point team. Or, mm. Yeah, 98 <laughs> points. Very bad. So for me to win tonight, TJ Hawkinson is going to have to put up negative two points. So if everybody could just root for that, I would be very grateful. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. Um, but, you know, our our record in getting things that we want in our in our NFL picks is is not very good. We'll get to that in a second. But real quick before we take a break, top games this weekend. Um, Want to run through our current season pick em standings as we'll make three more picks in college football as well as NFL in just a second. So looking at football, I had a pretty nice week last week. Five and one now on the year. Correctly predicted Bama as well as Penn State. Um, and BYU, Lath, uh, basically had the same picks, except you had Auburn like a true homer. Mm. Um, Got to respect it, though. <laughs> After trying to pull a Kirk Herbstreet and not take, make a pick, so I'm glad I made you, though. Yeah, well, see, um, you screwed so me. You screwed me by making me pick it, and then it came back to bite me. <laughs> Lay sitting at 4-2 and two now, and then both of us yeah, taking taking some L's in in the NFL last week. Both two and four on the year after the Chiefs and Seahawks didn't get it done for us. Um, but this week, always next week, taking a look first at college football. Biggest one of the biggest games of the weekend. Number twelve Notre Dame against number eighteen Wisconsin at Soldier Field, um, which is actually one of two big games being played at neutral site, which is kind of a weird thing to see in week three slash four. Um, in college football, like usually that's kind of a week one thing to see, but, um, a couple of games at NFL stadiums this week, but Wisconsin, the, you know, pseudo home team here, six point favorites. I've got a 32, 24 win for Notre Dame upsetting Wisconsin. What you got there, Leith? Uh, I've got Wisconsin winning one, this one, 28, 17, you know, I, I said last week, I think Notre Dame's fraud. They, next week, they've got Cincinnati after this, who's also a good team. I think they miss up one of those two games. I don't know which one it's going to be, but I'm going to say that they're going to lose until they do. So I've got them losing this week. We'll say Wisconsin, a bye week last week, had the longer time to prepare, so maybe that works in their advantage. But next up, um, the game of the weekend, in my opinion, number seven, Texas A&M, again, at, but not really at, number 16, Arkansas in Jerry World, home of the Cowboys over in Dallas. A&M looked a little shaky through the first few games, but still undefeated. Arkansas really been a positive surprise for Sam Pittman and the Hogs down in uh, down where that where is that? Uh, not in Little Rock, Fayetteville, um, Fayetteville, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Man, beat me to it. But I like the Aggies, thirty-eight, thirty-five in a close one, though, as Lee Corso would say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. As much as I'd like to see uh, Arkansas just win, or just take ownership of Texas with two Texas dubs, I think that Texas A&M is too deep and too talented. To let that happen, I think they sneak away with a win here as well. Yep, you've got 24-21 for the Aggies. And then lastly, West Virginia at number four, Oklahoma. Oklahoma 16-and-a-half point favorites. Um, by the way, yeah, I think I, I didn't know if I mentioned it, but A&M was a six-point favorite in that game. But Oklahoma given a lot of points here. You know, I think they get the win. Not sure about covering that, though. West Virginia looked pretty good against Virginia Tech last week. I think OU wins, but I've got 42-31. Yeah, I think at this point, it's just been weeks of everybody crapping on Oklahoma for inconsistent offense. I think that this was a good week of practice for them, and they come out against a West Virginia team that's good but probably has a little bit of a hangover from that Virginia Tech win, and they get the job done. Well, your your score that you've got at 45-28, which you need to remember to say, like, that's why we pick them by the mm. score so you can see it. <laughs> But the score you've got, I think, is exactly what Vegas is expecting because oh, it's spread really? at 16 and a half. Well, I mean, you look at a spread at 16 and a half, 45, 28 gives you 17. So that's that's right about probably what they've got the line set at. But that's our picks for college. Um, only one difference here, Notre Dame and Wisconsin, but a chance for me to stretch my lead a little bit or for you to tie it up should the Badgers get it done. But moving on to the NFL, we'll make this quick. Chargers at Chiefs. Chiefs, six and a half point favorites. 
I like the Chiefs to bounce back in a big way here. 33-28 Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City doesn't lose two games in a row. 35-31 Chiefs. Next up, Bucks at Rams. Battle of probably the two best teams in the NFC. Rams, one and a half point favorites at home. Not betting against Tampa Tom, though. I think the Buccaneers go over there and take care of business in a close one, 24-20. Yeah, Tom Brady's just playing lights-out football. It's going to take a lot to get him off track, and I don't think it happens this early in the season. 31-27, Tampa Bay. Then lastly, Saints at Pats. Two teams with an uneven start to the season look good one week, look pretty poor the next. Um, Not sure yet what to make of Jameis Winston, but I think the Saints have just enough with Sean Payton to get the job done 20-17 up in New England. Yeah, I think we're going to see Mac uh, Mac Jones struggle a little bit with a New Orleans defense that's really good. Uh, New Orleans wins this one 21-13. All right, those are our picks for the week. Might want to tail the college ones, but probably not the NFL ones. But coming up next, at some point, we will get to our soccer picks where we are both having a pretty so- strong start to the year. And I actually nailed a score dead on in Serie A last week. But coming up, talk a little bit of international footy when we come back. All right, Lay, time to get into a little bit of international footy here. A lot of big games in the past week, what with Champions League and uh, club football returning after the international break. But I want to start things off um, with a little bit of news coming out today. Not sure if you've seen it, but if you haven't, now you have looking at the at the pre-show notes. Um, so FIFA holding talks with the big football associations of the world, Italy, England, Spain, Nicaragua, you know how it goes, Um, over hosting the World Cup every two years instead of four. I have opinions about that, but I'm curious to hear yours first. Yeah, I hadn't, it's weird, I hadn't even heard anything about this at this point until I saw that you'd put it in the, uh, in the notes, but I, I don't know what it is. Something about that does not sit right with me. I, I think there's probably a lot of people that like it because it's, I mean, it's a big competition. Everyone loves watching the World Cup. But it makes it less special to me. I kind of like the idea of associating it with the Olympics being every four years because it's just that big of an event. You get time to see uh, how these countries really transition into a younger group of players. And uh, that's just something that I think is a really good, fun part of watching the tournament. So that's not something that I'm rooting for. I understand why it's it's a topic. But if I had to pick, I'd rather that not be the case. Yeah, I fucking hate it. Um, And I think you're honestly even a little wrong when you say there's probably a lot of people that want it. I don't see any real soccer fan who at least has been into the game for longer than the Super League wanting this. Because this this gives me very Super League vibes in a different way, but kind of the fact that like part of the idea behind the Super League was um, just getting more of those big games just in your face, more content, more of that, like which... There's, there can be too much of a good thing. Like part of what makes those UCL nights so special is like they don't come around all that often. Like you don't see Real Madrid and Liverpool play all that often. But I am 100% with you on the World Cup. Like it is so special because it's every four years because, you know, because of the nature of the tournament, it's so hard to win. And again, the fact that it's four years apart, you know, at best a great footballer can probably hope to play in maybe four of them. You know, like most careers really aren't like Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. These guys are the exception playing longer than, than 12, 16 years. Like really, you're probably only playing in three. Um, so like, it's such an achievement to even make it. Like, I love that the qualifying process is that three year process, you know, and I think putting it to every two years really devalues it because now all of a sudden, you know, coming at it from a old ass baseball perspective, you know, the tradition that we often make fun of, of baseball fans for having you know not wanting to to do things to make the pace of the game quicker like this just kind of breaks world cup stats a little bit like all of a sudden having double the amount really like you know like miroslav closes probably unbeatable world cup goal scoring record would go pretty quickly i think to maybe somebody not even like that great if they can play in eight of them when he played in however many he was um but yeah not not for it at all um not much to add i don't you know, hopefully the powers that be share this opinion, like I think most of the world probably does. But then again, we've seen what happens when you trust the, the decision makers to actually make the right decisions. We ended up with the freaking Super League. So um, maybe this will take a take a fan revolt to stop it should it get that far. Um, yeah, and you know, but you make a good point about the qualification too because 
at some level, when you got this many international games, it's going to impact club level ball too. I'm assuming there will be more of an international break, and I don't know. I don't like things interfering with just the club schedule. So I don't know how you yeah, feel. About we're about that. to have a we're about to have a clusterfuck of a World Cup here next season with with the fall World Cup being oh, played in Qatar. You know that's going to really jack things yeah. up. So I'm with you. I'm totally with you. But moving on to a different tournament, um, big UCL match day. Uh, match day one last week. We did our huge UCL preview pod. If you listened to last week. Not off to the most brilliant start, especially for Leith with that, but it's early days here, just the first of six match days in the Champions League. But quick recap of some disappointing results for some big teams. Man United losing 2-1 at Young Boys. Uh, was that, that's not even, is that Belgian League? Young like, Boys? No, I think that's like, isn't that like Argentina? No, 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 no. There's one, they wouldn't be in the UCL anyway. Like, oh, you know sorry, no. UEFA, I'm... as in Europe. <laughs> You're right. Brain <laughs> I mean, um, but it's like Netherlands, Belgian League, something like that. Swiss. Swiss, Swiss. The yes, Swiss, Swiss Super League. There you go. But anyway, 2-1 victory for the young boys um, after a red card um, in the for United. Sink some PSG drawing 1-1 against Bruges at home. Um, quick little side note. We can take a couple minutes on here. So Messi, that was his first Champions League start at PSG. I think it may have been his first start period because he's only made three appearances so far. But no goals or assists for the GOAT, well, what many people would call the GOAT so far um, for Messi. Like, again, and this isn't first take. We're not having the Ronaldo versus Messi debate here. But how soon is too soon to overreact to Messi, you know, starting a little slowly here? Because it's a couple games in League One, which we thought he would just run in and just absolutely obliterate the Farmers League. And so far, PSG kind of a behind the eight ball a little bit in the UCL. I'm just not, you know, not sold not sold on this team yet. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I know. It's in kind of reference back to your too much is of a good thing is a bad thing. Uh, this is a PSG team really putting Messi in the mix, kind of throws him out of balance. We know from watching the past games, Messi's not someone that's going to play any defense whatsoever. And when you look at how the game has evolved now, you see a lot more pressing uh, from the attack players just to kind of get a more overall balanced defensive feel to it. But with guys like Neymar and Messi and Mbappe who are not known for their defensive focus solely on attacking, that has a tendency to throw some things out of whack. And again, I'm sure that the the guys calling the shots over at PSG have looked at the, the tactics and have, have an idea of what they're doing. But I, I don't know. It seems like they're trying to just throw something together, put as much talent as they can out there, and it's just not clicking. And at some point, you're going to have to sit back and go, okay, how can we reorganize this lineup so that we're getting the most out of every position in every area of the pitch, whether or not that includes having the big three on the field at the same time or not? Yeah. I will say Pochettino, phenomenal coach at the head of this PSG squad right now, but this is an unfamiliar position for – well, it's really an unfamiliar position for anybody. I don't think anybody has ever had the talent of Messi, Mbappe, and Neymar all on one team. But if you think about where Pochettino has had success, it was building a club from the ground up like he did at Tottenham, making them contenders with a style that was all his own, to now being kind of asked to do what Mourinho has built a career on at arriving at a title-ready team or being presented a, a championship-caliber team and saying, figure it out, put the puzzle pieces together, and go win. We're going to figure out pretty soon if he can do that sort of thing or not. But other results around the UCL, big wins from Bayern and Liverpool. Thank you, Bayern. Clutch uh, betting win for me there. Called a victory over Barca at the new Camp. And then Liverpool overcoming your boys, AC Milan, mm. to uh, to grab a win reminiscent of the Istanbul victory, um, which, is, which is a famous one in Liverpool history, obviously. But um, So UCL off to, a, off to a pretty interesting start. Um, Neither of us, I think, no, you actually, that's where you did get a win over me in the picks last week. Um, you had Real getting a win over Inter. I had a 2-2 draw, which it was looking like a draw for the longest time. But um, my boys enter off to a rough start with a loss against Real Madrid, but a long time still like to go. But wanna we're running out of time a little bit here, so I want to jump into league play. Start, just because I have to. Um, I'll let you have your Auburn moments. You're going to let me have an Arsenal moment here a little bit. <laughs> Back-to-back wins for Arsenal, and I'm, you know, speaking it into existence here. I'm not that delusional. I don't really think it's going to happen. But twice before in history, in the history of the English top flight, notice my word choice there. Not the Premier League, but the English top flight. <laughs> has a team lost its first three games and gone on 
to win the league. Now, I have to say English top flight because the last time it happened was 1924, well before the the beginnings of the Premier League. But it has happened before. Back-to-back wins for Arsenal, both 1-0, one against Norwich, and now one against Burnley. But I'm liking tentatively... Like tentatively, like scared, but I'm liking it a little bit. But that's making me that's making me nervous that it's all about to go so wrong against Tottenham Hotspur this weekend. But get to that in a little bit. Leith, I know in the Premier League you lean a little bit towards City, um, just a team that you kind of kind of like. Um, they've played a really attractive style of football, but yeah. offensive struggles so far this season. Yeah, and we touched on that a little bit last uh, last week. It just doesn't seem that everything's clicking for him. We talked about how they've been missing Aguero, having that kind of marquee striker at the front who's really going to just make things happen. Um, I don't know. This team is really surprising to me just because they've been together. The chemistry should be there. I'm hoping this is just early season struggles because we're not too deep into the season yet. But at some point, you got to realize something's not working. Maybe we need to change some things up at a tactical level. Yeah. Was kind of hoping you'd provide the the context context there before you got into the take, but Chelsea or excuse me, Manchester City drawing nil nil with Southampton this weekend, thus the mm. the uh, discussion about the offensive struggles. But um, well, like but you know, I, I got to uh, say I haven't <laughs> haven't been able to watch as much of the uh, the Premier League, uh, keeping my eye on the Bundesliga and with football going on, so I wasn't really aware of that one at the time. Um, but elsewhere in the Premier League, Chelsea batter Spurs 3-0. I actually really wishing I had to bet on Chelsea because I kind of had a feeling that was going to happen, but I didn't take it. Um, and Liverpool also taking care of business. But interesting thing that I saw pop up on social media this week regarding Chelsea and Liverpool. Actually, I've seen it all over the place now. I mean, looking at the top of the standings, they're right there, 1-2. and two. Um, Actually tied with United for, for four wins and a draw through their first five. Um, but Chelsea and Liverpool, I think, look the stronger two sides at the moment. But they've started their season in identical fashion in terms of score lines in the Premier League. So going back to um, match day one, they had a 2-1 victory over Arsenal, then a 2-2 draw against Tottenham, 3-0 win versus Palace. Um, wait, excuse me, I think I went too far back. 2-1, we didn't score when we lost to them. Yeah, I don't know why... Went too far back. But anyway, long story short, Liverpool and Chelsea have scored the exact same goals in the same wins, if that makes sense. Like they're, you know, when Liverpool draws 1-1, Chelsea draws 1-1. When Chelsea wins 2-0, Liverpool wins 2-0, that sort of thing. I really butchered that, but you get the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I didn't realize you were keying me off there. Um, yeah, Chelsea, talented team. You know, they made a lot of rude moves. Uh, the roster's looking really clean right now. Uh, Liverpool... I got to admit, I haven't been able to watch much of them, but it seems like they're really how they were almost a season ago before last year, playing really high-quality soccer. Uh, it's going to be fun. The, the Premier League is going to be fun this year because there's a lot of guys that have a lot of talent, and, yeah, these are the front runners right now, but I think there's a lot of things that could change if Manchester United starts clicking the way that they should um, and if Manchester City can get right. It's going to be a really nice title challenge to watch this year, and it's going to be fun to be a part of. And then quickly over to Serie A, um, a tie at the top of that table with Milan and Inter, um, which I think we both expected AC Milan to have a strong start to the season. I didn't really think Inter would um, with the departures of Lukaku and Hakimi, but at least through early days, off to a strong start there. And then probably the biggest story of the Serie A, Juve really feeling the loss of Cristiano Ronaldo currently in the relegation zone. Um, You know, maybe... Somebody like, uh, oh, who who was the this, – God, this is so bad. The guy that Arsenal was trying to sign all summer but ended up going to Juve. Not Nico Barella, but uh, – uh, pa, pa, It's just the P, I think. Whatever. Or, I don't Doesn't know, matter. I don't but sorry. Juve down in the bottom of the league. Um, of course, they're going to bounce back. They're not going to get relegated. Um, but really tough start for the Turin natives there. Um, and, you know, as we teased before the break – you know, if you've been tailing all of our picks in football, uh, maybe 50-50, maybe a little less than 50-50 if you've been following the NFL. But soccer is where we've been making some money. Um, looking over at the our, our results from the season so far, I'm 5-1, and one, Lathe, you're 4-2. and two. And much harder to pick soccer results, obviously, with draws being in there. I got three results. Yeah. Um, but last week, um, I caught a dub with calling a draw in the Milan and Juve game. 
you life had Juve picked again picked against your own club there taking Juve to get a win which they didn't but um I also caught a win with Chelsea um taking down Spurs you had a draw there and then you were correct in the Real versus Inter match in the UCL but get out of here real quick with our picks for soccer next weekend Starting off, a lot of big games in the Premier League. Man City at Chelsea. We've talked about both these teams in this podcast. Man City's offensive struggles. Chelsea, I think, just looked too strong. I think both teams score, but Chelsea gets a win 2-1. Yeah, I think this one's going to be a bounce-back week for Man City. I think they're going to be really frustrated after the last week's uh, showing. So I think that it's going to be a 2-2 draw. Not too shabby for that. Next up, Spurs at Arsenal. Big North London derby. So excited to watch this one. I'm not actually going to Georgia's game this week. They're at Vanderbilt, so I'll have plenty of time to just park my ass on the couch and watch football all day. And it'll start bright and early with this one. Again, this may just be complete delusion, but Arsenal at home, I can't not expect us to beat Spurs. So 1-0 to the Arsenal for me. Mm, I got Spurs pulling this one off. I think this is Spurs team. That's a really good cohesive unit. I think that they end up getting this one done regardless cohesive of the location. Unit. That's something you say when you actually don't know shit about the team. Like, come on now. Okay, come on now. Come on now. Spurs have been doing well lately, really well lately. Other than getting a lot of good beat moves. down by Chelsea last week, but then again, Arsenal have that in common. No, for, that was what? First loss in like four or five games for them? They started off really hot. We'll see. We will see tomorrow. That's going to be the big differentiator for for us there. That's the only pick we have in complete opposition between win or loss. And then lastly, um, Valencia at Sevilla. Just feeling a draw on this one. Couldn't really tell you why, but Unai Emery loves a good draw. I think under Ars- when he was coaching Arsenal his last season, we led the league in draws. I think we had like over 10. So I'll, I'll buy a draw here. Yeah, I had a draw as well, just 1-1. One, one. All right. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the third rendition of the Away Days podcast. Led things off a little football, which we might be prone to do next week, but it all just kind of depends on which uh, which side of the which side of the globe brings us the biggest storylines. But exciting weekend coming up, um, and we hope you'll join us on the next one.